Spaces is recording, so I'm going to try to do this a little bit more formal for the purposes of like posting to podcasts and other venues. So we'll get started and kind of I'll kind of leave um, most everybody off of speakers for the moment, just to kind of be more formal about this, and then we can get folks in for comments and questions. But mainly, want to stick to the topic here. Uh, Zephyr Protocol. We'll kind of go over uh, a little bit of everything here, uh, particularly why it needs to exist. But if you guys could retweet the space and everything, get a bit of an audience, that would be good. Um, Saturday afternoon, so it may be a little bit light today, but we'll see. I was just kind of pulling up a few pieces of information about the protocol while we're doing this so we can uh, put out some local statistics. Today is December the 16th, 2023. If you guys haven't followed Terra Spaces down there, uh, please do so. Uh, Finn runs that and uh, graciously puts a lot of this information onto searchable format. It gets a lot of uh, attention when people click um, and search for Zephyr, among other things. And I would definitely uh, keep an eye on that. If you ever miss certain spaces, or uh, he has a lot of stuff that's recorded about lots of different protocols, some of the stuff I've done, and um, a lot of other stuff regarding plenty of Cosmos protocols, including Terra, which uh, uh, sponsored him to do some of his work as well, which is good <clears throat> after a long time. All right. So let's see. Um, let me get this going here. All right, so Zephyr Protocol is a new blockchain, uh, fresh new proof of work layer one, and it is based on the same hashing algorithm, uh, which is called RandomX, as uh, Monero, uh, which everyone should be familiar with by now if you've been in crypto for a while. Uh, Monero, with the ticker XMR, is currently about a $3 billion market cap chain, and its primary purpose is untraceable transactions, uh, for peer-to-peer -peer transactions in particular, where uh, the amount and frequency of someone's uh, transactions is basically uh, not in the public domain, uh, unlike other blockchains like Bitcoin or Ethereum, which are open ledger, uh, Zephyr protocol is not open. So if I were to send a friend um, $100 worth of ZSD, um, that can be done complete private with uh, 
that being nearly impossible to detect. Um, why do people need privacy? Let's just start with that, uh, since this is a privacy blockchain. Uh, people need privacy because uh, if you have a corporation, for example, let's say you're McDonald's, and you have an open, uh, you know, public wallet, um, people can tell how many people are buying crap at your McDonald's, for example. Um, there are workarounds to that, of course, but they require uh, special tooling. Also, if you were to expose your wallet to somebody to buy, say, for example, NFT on Ethereum, you expose your entire sort of wallet history to that person because uh, they know where that money was sent from. Uh, you can do all sorts of interesting things to maintain your privacy, like have separate wallets and you know use you know different central exchanges and try to load up those wallets. But ultimately, uh, a lot of that is uh, traceable if you go back far enough, which could be uh, good or bad depending on who you are. Uh, people can use your public information to do all sorts of stuff, like kidnap your kids, for example, or commit crimes against you, um, extort you. So privacy is not just for um, you know, bad people doing bad things, it's for good people who don't want other bad people to do things to them as well. So it is an important thing to have privacy. And blockchains, um, by default, are not private. They have to be designed specifically to make them so. Um, some of the history of the space, uh, there's, of course, Monero, there was Zcash, Dash, Secret Network, uh, and a variety of others out there. Um, that uh, have been doing work in this space. Um, <clears throat> there's also a history of uh, completely separate from privacy. There's a history in the space of the need for stable coins. Uh, what type of stable coins have we had? Um, one of the first was Tether. Um, that is a stable coin created by um, a specific company. And in the background, they maintain collateral in the form of um, U.S. Treasuries, U.S. Dollars, uh, they maintain, uh, I think, more recently, some Bitcoin and things of that nature. So uh, the issue with that is, is that that's off-chain collateral, and there's no way for you to directly audit um, that collateral to know for sure that your tether is backed by something. Um, you'd have to have an external auditor to audit the books of that company from time to time and prove, in fact, that the, that company does have the resources they say they do. And uh, presumably, they've already always been backed, although nobody knows for sure. Um, another thing about stablecoins and uh, crypto in general is on an open ledger um, and centralized systems like Tether or Circle, uh, USDC, transactions can be censored. Um, so they can be censored from the perspective of Let's say someone just steals, you know, a bunch of board apes or something from, from, uh, uh, you know, some protocol. Then, technically speaking, that destination address could theoretically be um, locked up and censored. Now, the thing is, censorship resistance uh, is something that is not feasible if you have a centralized protocol issuing, say, for example, your stable coins um, or anything else for that matter. Um, censorship resistance is one of the reasons why people go into decentralized finance in the first place. Um, so we've been looking for a decentralized stablecoin for a very long time. Um, many attempts at this were made uh, to peg 
a stable coin to the US dollar. Um, the most notable uh, disaster in recent memory was uh, Terra Luna with UST, and that system crashed into oblivion um, for a variety of reasons. Um, the most apparent one of those being that um, a proof of stake um, Luna was insufficient collateral, uh, especially during downturns, to stabilize the, the UST um, stablecoin. Also, um, you know, on chain, it's easy to stabilize something. It's much more difficult to um, stabilize a stablecoin off chain, where uh, external arbitrage is required to maintain sort of the peg to the the real world value of the dollar. Uh, we've seen like USDT and USDC also depeg in in, year, in the last years. And this is possible, and it will repeg so long as people believe in the coin and want to buy the stable coin when it's cheaper than a dollar, or are willing to sell it when it's more expensive than a dollar in order to sort of like bring the peg back in line. So, um, a lot of lessons were learned from depeg events um, in the past, such as uh, Iron Finance, Luna UST, and a variety of others. And one of those lessons was that you need on chain collateral. This was the case in, in Luna. And that on-chain collateral needs to be hard money, meaning it needs to be a commodity. And ideally, it's a mined commodity. Uh, a mined commodity would be something like Bitcoin, something like Monero, something like um, Ethereum Classic. But you know anything that's mined basically has a certain amount of computation and electricity and network effects leading to the value of the, the, the coin itself. If you don't have an on-chain mined collateral, the problem is, is that technically speaking, through governance mechanisms or anything else, you could technically mint more collateral at will. Um, and through uh, governance systems, you could actually break the primary collateral. And therefore, um, when you want sort of a hard money collateral, it's generally better to proof of work mine it, um, as far as we can tell. So, um, so important things that we need here, a stable coin, you need privacy. You need um, on-chain collateral to be the collateral of the actual stablecoin. And, um, and then another piece of the puzzle here is the over-collateralization aspect. So you need, um, so if you just have uh, one Zephyr, for example, the ZEPH token, collateralize one ZSD, which is the dollar stablecoin. Um, if I were to mint $1 worth using one Zeph today, the, the, and, and that was the only collateral that was available is the Zeph that went into it. The problem with that is Zephyr's price could be highly volatile. It could be a dollar one day, it could be $52 the next day. It could be $25 the day after that, right? So the thing is the price can be very volatile and you can end up being under collateralized. So you generally want more of the collateral to be locked up uh, than, um, than a, significantly, a significant amount more than you have actual stable coin in circulation. In the case of Zephyr, um, there, it's a three-coin system. There's ZEPH, which is the Zephyr um, sort of like mined coin, the primary commodity of the ecosystem. You have ZSD, which is the Zephyr stable dollar, which is the um, stable coin in the system. And then you have a third asset, which is the ZRS, the Zephyr reserve uh, coin. And that um, is basically mintable. Um, when from Zephyr, when you are under collateralized in the ecosystem, what does that mean? If we drop below 800% collateralization of the um, ZSD coin, 
with the stable reserve, then um, you're allowed to mint the reserve token. Uh, why would people want the reserve token? Because it has the yield from the network, very similar to mining uh, miners who get yield from the network uh, from transaction fees and such. So th there is a benefit to holding that. And uh, if the, the value of, uh, if you're at a situation where we're under 400% collateralized, um, then no more stablecoin can be minted. So this is a very over collateralized system that was adopted from the DJED protocol, uh, DJED, or however you pronounce that. And that um, protocol basically utilizes a highly capital inefficient uh, methodology, which is very over collateralized dollar stablecoin, um, which limits scalability. Uh, so you're not going to be able to create like enough ZSD to become all the world's money or something like this. It's a very um, constra constrained system. Um, the primary uh, useful utility of this system is it's basically a, a Monero fork. So number one, it is private and it works and it's secured by hashing power and miners in the background. Uh, and you get a little bit of stablecoin out of this, right? It's, it's not going to be the total market cap of uh, Zephyr. So this is currently Zephyr's um, uh, market cap is around 50 to $60 million. And um, the market cap of ZSD is only 1 million at this point. So there's very little stablecoin relative to the um, amount of uh, uh, the value of Zephyr out there. Okay. Um, so basically, um, what else is there to say? Um, okay. So you have privacy, you have the ability to mint a stable coin, you have the available uh, collateral asset that is the sort of the investable one, the one where number goes up. Um, and as the network effect of the ecosystem increases, say more miners show up, more people want the um, Zeph token for speculation or whatever, the value of that market cap will rise over time. As that rises, the amount of mintable stable uh, coin can increase. Uh, currently, um, let's pull up the actual amount of collateral here. So if you go to zephoprotocol.com, uh, you can get a lot of information. Um, I'll go through some of those links here so you can understand like what can be done with this protocol. But let me go to the actual website here for just a moment. And one of the links on that website is a section called network.zephyrprotocol.com. That gives you some statistics. Um, currently, our reserve ratio the number of Zeph reserve shares compared to the Zeph stable dollars, it is, is a ratio of 1,681% uh, reserve ratio. There are 683,000 Zeph reserve shares. There's currently 1,037,000 uh, Zeph stable dollars in circulation. And then there's, um, so this, this ratio is well above 800%, so it's not possible to mint. Zeph reserve shares at this point. Um, the system has an oracle that is checking the price in the background of the Zeph stablecoin and how much Zeph is worth, and, and therefore um, allowing the system to function to maintain the um, appropriate reserve status to keep the system functional and secure safe. Um, I would point out that like the success of the stablecoin is irrelevant to the success of the protocol. At a core level, it's basically a Monero fork 
And if nobody adopted the stablecoin, it wouldn't make any difference in the sense that you could still have a functioning privacy system just like you do with Monero. Um, why did I think this system was interesting? Um, when I first looked at it, I noticed that a lot of miners had begun mining this. This only started in like the summer of 2023. So a lot of miners had jumped on and the hash rate was really increasing quite quickly and is now uh, somewhere between like 50% to um, sometimes even higher hash rate than Monero, which has been around since 2014. Um, so clearly somebody cares about this thing. Somebody cares to do um, CPU computation to secure this chain. And um, then you look at like the details of how this could be useful. Well, if all you wanted was privacy, you have Monero. If all you wanted was a censorable uh, stablecoin, you have Tether or USDC. Um, nobody had quite put the this together the same way, except maybe Haven Protocol, which got wrecked because they had an algorithmic stablecoin um, modality that basically cracked under pressure, and they've been trying to recover ever since. This particular system uh, looked interesting to me because if I'm a trader, like let's say I have um, I don't know, let's say I had Bitcoin. So I have $100 worth of, uh, let's say Bitcoin and it goes from $10,000 to $100,000. So now I have $1,000 worth of BTC. Let's say I wanted to trade the thing. I'd have to go to a centralized exchange. I'd have to then swap that to Tether or USDC or USD depending on the exchange. And um, I would have to uh, show that on a public ledger in a public space every time I did it. And um, if I wanted to go then and buy the dip on Bitcoin, I'd have to do the same thing. I have to go back to the exchange. I have to buy myself some Bitcoin. It's all public. Public. Um, if I had XMR, so you know, how would that be different? Well, with XMR, it's private. Um, you know, what I do with my XMR, if I send it to my friends, um, that won't be recognized by anybody. But at the same time, if I have to go to centralized exchange to swap it from the uh, XMR to dollars then what's going to happen is uh, I'm going to wind up with um, like that being recorded somewhere, right? So having the ability to have a stable dollar within the ecosystem and allow you to swap to it when you feel like trading out of your, um, your volatile asset, in this case, Ceph, um, would be really, really helpful because that becomes an untraceable uh, transaction. Um, that in and of itself makes this uh, uniformly unique in the universe of crypto at this point. Like that, um, I don't need to explain to everyone why that is going to be useful because I think you can use your imagination. But the point is you can swap into the stable dollar um, when you feel like it and swap back whenever you feel like it. Um, the only time that would not be the case would be as if Zeph was under collateralized for some reason. But then again, when are you most likely to want to convert? Zephyr to the Zeph stablecoin. Uh, like most people are going to want to sell the top and buy the bottom in theory. So let's say Zephyr today is $25. It, you know, goes to $400 and you say, "Hey, you know what? I want to I want to sell some of this thing." You don't have to go to a centralized exchange to do it. You can pay the transaction fee on the network, convert your um Zephyr to ZSD uh, in your wallet and have that all be private. And the the system basically creates a liability in the form of ZSD. Um, and then that can be converted back to Zeph, you know, if the price dips at some point. 
So the nice thing is like when the price goes up for Zephyr, um, that's exactly when you're very, very over collateralized in terms of you won't have any trouble minting the stable at that point because there won't be any blockage to do so. Same thing when, when um, you want to convert back from stable to Zeph, that will be at the point when the coin is least collateralized, which is when the price drops. And that would be exactly the same time that you'd want less ZSD in the system. And you could technically convert back to the, um, the uh, Zeph uh, volatile token at the bottom. And uh, so there should be plenty of available um, swappability, so to speak, during both those key times. And um, that makes this a really, really useful thing. Like if you had, so if, if I have 10 different forms of crypto at this moment, and one of them moons, so I have like, let's say, you know, $100 worth of something. Um, let's, let's make it bigger. Let's say I have a million bucks worth of each coin. And each of them moons to uh, 10x. Like which, which would I prefer to own? The one that's private or the one that's public um, if I have the op opportunity? I would prefer the private one personally um, for all the reasons previously mentioned. Um, right now, at this very moment, um, this is December 15th, I think, or something like that. Um, yep, December 16th, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the market cap of Zephyr is right around um, 50,000 or so. In fact, let me get the exact number. So like we have this recorded for reference. Yeah, it's $59,000 market cap. XMR's market cap is around 3 billion. And the, uh, I think potential for this is at least as good as Monero, if not better. And I think with all of the features that I mentioned, I think the um, it's possible for Zephyr Protocol to eclipse the market cap of all the previous stable coin. I'm sorry, all the previous privacy coins combined, in my opinion. So what I am positioning myself for is growth of an ecosystem like this, a chain like this to much higher valuations, especially going into sort of bullish conditions um, this coming 2024 happening year for Bitcoin. And um, I would much rather have a bag that moons that is private. Um, again, like. This is not some sort of financial advice. I have no idea what the price of the thing is going to do. I have no idea what the market cap is going to be and when. But my personal speculation is that if this does well, I want to have a gigantic privacy bag as a result. Currently, um, we are at a price of $22.59. Just pointing out like the technicals on this thing real quick. Um, I think the we're in good territory as far as like pullback. We uh, had a first impulsive move from like, I don't know, a few bucks up to about 50, um, I think 52 bucks at the top or something like that. Uh, that was based on the price feed from MEXC. Uh, it has pulled back now uh, to 56% uh, percent below the all-time high uh, after its only first impulsive move in its history. So um it's really hasn't been listed for very long. We're talking about maybe July or so. And uh, this has been the sort of the first sort of like uh, big pump, so to speak, in price action. Um, I do think price action is important. Some people don't like to talk about it. I tend to prefer it because I think the, um, you know, you're going to have a lot more happy campers if they are investigating these things when they're down as opposed to when they're, you know, up maximally. And I think with each of these impulsive moves, you know, these kinds of pullbacks are common. It's common for every speculative asset. 
speculative assets typically will fall something like, I don't know, between, oh, between like 40% and 90% from prior highs. Um, that's just normal because, you know, a lot of people like to sell at the top and buy back or do whatever they're going to do. Uh, and since these are not like usually cryptos, not usually priced any particular fundamentals, it's highly speculative. Um, and, uh, you see price action just going all over the map. It's very hard to tell when they're going to go up, when they're going to go down, how much they're going to go up, et cetera, et cetera. But we know we're going to bullish season right now. And typically in a bull market, um, commonly with crypto, things tend to pull back right around to about here, which is about, uh, you know, 50 to 60% pullbacks would be pretty normal. Uh, it could go down even further. Uh, I think the next fib level down right now in retracement is like 15 bucks. So all that's possible. I do think um, the, uh, it, it, you know, price action wise is looking attractive in this range though. Um, without going too deeply into sort of how these bull and bear markets work, typically during bull markets, things can oftentimes pull back like 40 to 60% in that neighborhood. And in bear markets, things tend to pull back a lot more, uh, sometimes 70 to 80%, even during an, an uptrend. So I think it's an interesting day today. Um, I think our level here is pretty decent. And um, I think most of the crypto space at this point is in disbelief about whether there's a bull market or not. Um, would point out that uh, also um, the stock market has started to really trend upwards and some of it, like, you know, there's some record high stock market levels as well. So I think the probability of an up year for 2014 is pretty good in my mind. So I'm kind of positioning myself for that. Um, what else is interesting here? Ah, so for Zephyr Protocol, just a little bit more about the protocol itself. So the website has um, one page, which is called network.zephyrprotocol.com. It gives you some interesting uh, metrics. Um, there are some more like technical details about the stablecoin mechanism, everything. I don't want to uh, get into that too deeply and, and bore everybody. Of course, people can read white papers and things if they'd like. Um, take a look at all that. Discover for yourself whether or not the uh, stablecoin is something you want to mess with. But I don't think the stablecoin matters in this in this system. It will work regardless of whether that is useful to you or not. Um, this is basically um, a Monero fork at its core, though with some improvements also in additional privacy um, things that I don't want to get into right now. Um, if you go to wallet.zephyrprotocol.com, you will find that there's a web wallet there. Um, if you um, have a secure computer, where you don't have any key loggers or any other shenanigans going on in your computer. There's a mixture of a, um, uh, a login that includes a file that you download, which that way prevents key loggers from nabbing your information. And then you can put in like a local password and that will get you to your web wallet. The web wallet works pretty well, but in times of high traffic, uh, sometimes the web wallet is down due to, um, just the website being too busy. So be aware of that. Uh, if you want a, uh, a wallet that always works, the downloadable wallets on the webpage are available on the main page. And you can download for like Mac and Linux and PC or whatever. Um, I have not examined that code myself personally to be sure that it's free of any kind of like, you know, issues in terms of Trojans or whatever. So um, use those things at your own uh, discretion. So far, I haven't seen any complaints of anything from those. Um, those are all basically open source wallets, but again, um, you know, like do your own research on those. If you're in doubt about web wallets, 
I mean, sorry, downloadable wallets. Wallets. What you can do is a simple thing: is on your home computer. It's not unreasonable to make a separate login for your computer. So from your main screen on your Windows or Mac, you make a new login and then put that wallet in that new login on a separate um, account so that it doesn't um, touch anything else that you're doing. So that's a little bit of a safety measure if you're in doubt. But yeah, I haven't had any issues with using either wallet. Um, I do have a mining rig that. Um, I'm mining Zephyr with that I used a secondary wallet and um, had no problem using the web wallet on that computer. On my primary computer that I do all the rest of my shit on, I um, am using the web wallet because um, I tend not to want to download anything to my computer regardless of who made it. That's just my um, that's just my sort of security protocol. And that's worked well for me for the past 20 plus years. So um, <laughs> like, uh, you, you don't need a lot of fancy hardware. You just need not download anything. Uh, onto your primary computer that is um, questionable. Um, let's see. And by the way, I'm not taking any questions or anything requests right now because I'm trying to get this thing recorded and get a lot of information here that people need. So don't feel bad. Um, what other things are happening? So if you go to the Zephyr Protocol site, there's some other information there, uh, including information on how to mine Zephyr. Um, the mining, pro mining software is basically the ex exact same thing as uh, for Monero, which is XM rig, and that uses the random X protocol. Uh, and uh, you can hash yourself some uh, Zeph using uh, various types of computers. Um, you can use Mac, you can use PC, you can use AMD, you can use Intel, or whatever. Um, not all types of computers are equivalently efficient to mine Zephyr, so be aware of that. Uh, you might have to do some research to sort this out, but just really quickly, um, I've discovered at this moment probably the most efficient um, and useful computer you can build today to mine Zephyr is an AMD Ryzen 7950X based computer with DDR5 6000 megahertz RAM at the as the main uh, 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 DDR5 RAM. Um, that would require generally an AMD 5 series motherboard with a minimum of a 650 series chipset. So if you have all that stuff together and a power supply and this and that, you can basically mine this um, fairly readily. Uh, you can do it without any other software except for what's available on the website using XMRig and a few tweaks to the config files for the type of uh, uh, computer you have. Um, there are some videos out there of people talking about how to do this, um, so I won't go deep, too deep into that right now. But it's a fairly, uh, it's it's a pretty good idea to mine this in the sense that it's one of the more profitable things to mine this season, if not the most profitable um, CPU-based um, mining that's available out there. It's essentially um, ASIC resistant, so the you, you would use only CPUs to mine uh, Zephyr. Um, what else? Um, yeah, well, anyway, for, for that particular process that I mentioned, I'm getting something like 21,000 ish, uh, hash per second and, um, producing approximately, uh, two to two and a half Zeph per month at the current difficulty level. So that's, gives you a little bit of an idea of, uh, about mining. Uh, there's a fair amount of mining pool statistics and whatnot on the web page. 
as well, the current hash rate for the network is 1.59 gigahash per second. Monero averages approximately two and a half gigahash per second. There are times when mining pools will like um, go into overdrive, and sometimes Zephyr Protocol's hash rate exceeds Monero's at sometimes up to three gigahash per second. Um, you know, on a momentary basis. Now that means that we are getting close to being a similar hash rate as a coin that's been around since 2014, which is Monero. So that should give you some idea of the amount of interest in this particular protocol. Um, so I don't think this is just like, just some random speculative, speculative pump or some shitcoin pump that because of, you know, Bitcoin happening and whatever. Um, I, I think it does, this has legs. I believe it does at least. And I'm securing myself a fair amount of um, this privacy token for my personal utility. Um, let's see, what else to talk about here? Um, oh, there is not yet an available iOS or Android wallet. Um, some of our friends here in the community um, have been working on that. Um, thanks to everybody that kind of like downloaded the uh, test flight software and was able to test out the new wallet. You'll have all the functions of the web wallet and of the desktop wallet, but in the phone form, uh, it's currently in test flight in Apple iOS store for the moment. And then um, uh, our colleague here in the community who's building the um, this wallet is gonna work on another one for Android. Um, this will allow you to kind of not have to mess with being on desktop. And I think, Phone uh, wallets are generally more secure anyway, to a large extent, because iOS and um, Android tend to have kind of walled garden environments uh, from a security perspective. Um, let's see here. What else to discuss here? Um, so, yeah, I, I think the, the flywheel effect of why people are going to want this. One is, of course, privacy. The second is uh, the stablecoin component. The third reason is that um, as exchanges want to list ZSD, uh, the stablecoin, they'll need to um, purchase considerable amounts of Zephyr, uh, convert that to, to um, the stable dollar, and lock up more of the collateral as a result. And that creates a flywheel effect where the demand for ZSD will increase the holding power of the number of people who are going to keep their reserve token in um, a lockup. Um, there's gonna be a lot of people mining this and many of those miners will probably tell their friends and family and whatever about this. So there's going to be a tendency to have a little bit of network effect from that. Um, quite a few YouTube videos in fact are out um, and many of them are from mining communities, mining pools and such. Um, and they tend to create those YouTube videos to kind of like attract more and more miners and also folks to their pools. So the, the mining pools and the miners tend to be like a automatic you know, sort of like marketing group for the for the protocol. Um, other reasons why I think like this will be popular is what I mentioned before. You basically have an on uh, in wallet dex where you can swap from a stable to uh, the unstable coin, um, which um, most people like to do uh, with things like Ethereum. They'll swap to USDT. It's and back, but in this case, it's all untraceable, unrecorded, and um, and uh, it's all happening within this black box space. Um, so that can be interesting uh, to a lot of people around the world um, for all sorts of different reasons. Um, 
So I, I think that does create a stickiness to the ecosystem. You'll have more people that will tend to stay within the wallet and not leave, tend to transfer assets into privacy and not have them leave so that they can use these assets uh, at a future date when uh, you know the maybe market taps higher or whatever, and they can use these assets in an untraceable manner, which uh, is really important. Um, as far as narratives are concerned, besides the stablecoin, besides the privacy aspect, um, a couple of narratives this last year have been AI, as everyone knows, uh, with the advent of sort of open AI's um, release this last year. Um, with GPT uh, making sort of like waves in the in the in the AI community and across the world, um, AI has been kind of like a reason for many crypto assets to sort of moon in a sense. Um, but people don't think of uh, privacy directly with AI. They will, I think, and the reason is because AI uh, one will more likely use privacy coins to. Um, do transactions because who wants to use AI and then give away their edge in terms of whatever they're trying to do in terms of AI to AI communications, but also AI is going to be used against you uh, to investigate everything you've ever done with crypto and try to, you know, um, like, you know, surveil you essentially. So AI is going to be like the most prominent surveillance tool going to the next decade and uh, having a privacy uh, coin and having some of your, uh, wealth in a privacy space prevents that from being tracked by AI. So AI can be weaponized against you, not just uh, be used as a tool by you. Um, and then stable coins or even um, privacy coins just generally are just more useful for an AI to use for its own purposes. So whether they're good or bad. Um, the other narrative I think that's going to become very big the next year, the next two years um, that we've mentioned a lot is central bank digital currencies. Um, there are something like 50 different CBDCs that are either in testing or in deployment um, around the world. Uh, I think, you know, a little over, you know, 20 of them are in testing phases in, in the uh, North American side. And then there are something like 30 in deployment on the Asia side. Um, CBDCs can be used to track every move you make in terms of, um, how you use your money, what you use it on, how to limit what you spend it on, and put limits on maybe uh, things like stimulus checks and things where they hand out money and say you have to use it for, you know, lettuce, not Doritos. You have to use it for um, within the next three months. Not you can't, you know, play, you know, you can't buy Dogecoin with it or whatever. Um, the, the, there's going to be a lot of that going on with CBDCs. Um, so that's I think there's going to be a narrative for privacy that hasn't been there for the last 10 years as these two major trends come about with AI and CBDCs. So I think that covers a lot of what I was going to say. I do think um, the protocol is super interesting. Do your own research. Um, none of these things are, you know, like risk free in terms of price action and such. Uh, you know, price can go up, price can go down. Uh, just, you know think about that before you get too uh, exuberant about doing anything with these things. Um, let me pop on some folks who have maybe had some questions and things. Um, give me just a moment. Logan, uh, we're going to try to focus pretty much on Zephyr-related stuff because we're kind of recording the space for posterity. Um, do you have any comments, questions, thoughts about any of this? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we're just in the beginning stages of uh, 
disgusting bull market. And for those of you who are on here now, you have an incredible opportunity to catch a project that uh, is needed in this uh, this market. You know, there's a lot of bullshit technology and memes, and obviously, you know, memes fly. But this this has that. It has the meme effect, but it also has the real utility, which is great. So people come for the memes and they stay for the actual utility. And I think what's cool about this is the fact that, you know, when we look at something like Luna UST, everyone was uh, like everyone was sold on the vision of let's get UST to be adopted throughout the world. And like, you know, you could use UST to buy your coffee or whatever it is. But in all reality, what UST was used for was a, a safe haven, if you will, to catch your gains from Luna. That's what most people use it for. And, and then for obviously some borrowing, but most people were borrowing off of their Luna and getting UST and then looping it right back into Luna. So the the kind of meme was, all right, UST is going to be world used world worldwide. But when you look at the actual usage, what was really going on, it was more of just a self-serving system. And that's that's what Zephyr is. But without, you know, us us lying or trying to call it something else, right? So I think there's power in just having the vision of, hey, you, you have the ability to trade a volatile asset for a stable asset in a black box. That is its utility. Zeph is not trying to be this uh, stable coin that is used throughout the entire world. There's a, a very simplistic, basic functionality, which is capturing the gains and being, you know, one, one side of it is volatile and one side of it is stable. It doesn't need to be anything more than that and private to have some explosive growth. So everything you're saying, Zephy, is uh, you know on point, and I just wanted to add that in there. Yep. Um, no, I think it's uh, first and foremost an interesting trading instrument. Um, you know, because yeah, the, the number one use case of for most people for cryptocurrency is number go up. Let's just be fair. That is exactly what. Um, people tend to use it for and that being the case like and that's an important use case and you know uh, speculative uh utility is important because that's what draws in lots of people um to anything this is true of bitcoin it's true of um, many stocks most people don't own stocks because they hope that uh their ownership of that stock automatically results in maybe you know a better product from that company they own the stock because they want the number to go up and they want to use it as a some sort of a speculative investment um, so this is true of all of these things. And to make that experience better, um, the investing experience better, the trading experience better has been the um, sort of like goal of many projects, uh, you know, in DeFi and such. Um, to have this core utility, the ability to swap between the stable dollar and the unstable coin um, in private is... Um, it's not the first time this is attempted, but it's certainly the most interesting version of this attempt that I have seen so far. And, um, you know, I, I think it has the utility I need for long-term use. So, um, like, and anything the in the market, man, it's like, if you look at J these JPEGs that are selling, it's like, you know, people, oh yeah, sure. You like the art or whatever else, but what you're really buying is future value, right? So if these, you know, when you look at uh, what are the monkey JPEGs, the the Bay Club or whatever, it's like people are buying those not because like, sure, again, you can say, oh, I like this monkey, but you're there not for the tech, not for the art. You're there to get those gains. You're hoping that tomorrow your monkey JPEG is going to be worth more 
And if it is, wouldn't it be nice to be able to possibly cash out into a stable asset? And you know that that is the system, right? So a lot of people say they're here for the tech, uh, but really they're they're here for the gains, right? And what better way to preserve your gains than in a private manner? Yeah, well, tech is good too, and I think this is reasonable reasonable tech. Um, so it's 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 fine to be there for both. So there are certain projects that I like to trade, certain things I like to trade, whether it's in stocks or crypto. There's other things like I like to hold for specific utility. Uh, others that I might hold because I you know have some you know like serious belief in that particular thing, and I'm sort of like an activist, so to speak, and um, intend to own it for that purpose. But uh, I think I'm a little bit of all of those things in this particular one. Um, you know, like there's a lot of different interesting layer ones and other things that'll do well during a bull market, um, which is great. Like, you know, we need, you know, DeFi casinos and stuff. Like Could you imagine though, if Bitcoin had this mechanism, like imagine if Bitcoin had this mechanism from the get go, like how, how much bigger or better would Bitcoin be, right? If people could just preserve their gains, uh, it, it like it just, it, it's, it's amazing to me to think that this exists and it didn't come sooner. I mean, I'm thankful that it's here now, but, um, it's kind of fulfilling the original, like one side can be currency. One side can be volatile. I just like, what, what is your opinion? Cause like when you look at Bitcoin, right, Sefi, it's like, okay, the technology isn't the best with Bitcoin. It's slow. It's outdated compared to most technology in the market. So Zeph doesn't necessarily have to be the best tech. It just has to provide uh, a meaning, like it has to provide something simple that people actually want. Cause I feel like that's the, that's the other side of tech, right? It's like, cool. You could have the most state of the art technology, but if no one uses it, who, who gives a shit? Right. So like Bitcoin, same thing. It, it's not maybe the best technology, but a lot of people use it and trust it. So with Zeph or, or just like what, what are your thoughts? Of, what do you think about the adoption of Bitcoin possibly if it were to have the features that Zeph has right now? Right. Not saying that it ever will, but I'm just saying simply from a, a perspective of uh, adoption. Right. Do you think that Bitcoin would be a lot bigger if it had this type of stable and privacy aspects to it? Um, I think the cl clearly like a significant portion of people, um, you know, with Bitcoin, don't buy coffee with it. They largely save it as a store of value asset or they trade it for some you know monetary gains. Um, like very few people are using it as a currency, I would think, um, you know, all things considered. Um, yeah, would they if you had the ability from the very beginning to convert? Um, Bitcoin to some kind of stable coin in their wallet would be more useful? Sure. I mean, I think there's almost no chance that's not true because then you'd be able to effectively convert and do trading without having to be on any kind of centralized exchange and not have to rely upon that place to be open or functioning the day that you want to do the, you know, do the trade. So yeah, there's no question um, stable coins have a strong product market fit in the universe of crypto. In fact, like what, Something like all 10% of the market cap of crypto is actually stable coins now. Um, so that product market fit is for sure there. And then, you know, beyond that, if you could swap between whatever unstable you have right now, I mean, let's face it, like there aren't that many exchanges in the world that trade Bitcoin um, and at least not many that are like highly liquid. So most people tend to gravitate towards a Kraken, a Coinbase, a Binance and, you know, KuCoin and a few others. But like something like 10 or 20 major exchanges are. Um, 
the, you know, the core place that most people trade their BTC for anything else. Um, yeah, so this, this is an interesting um, thing. Like now at the same time, like privacy historically has not been a strong narrative in crypto. Like if you look at the market caps, of all of the privacy coins combined, I mean, they're probably, they're somewhere less than 5 billion for sure. Um, you know, at the bottom of a bear market. So that's a very small amount compared to say the market cap of USDC or the market cap of Tether or market, forget about the market cap of or Bitcoin or something like that. There's a very small fraction of the population um, cares about privacy now. And I think that's a, that's a bullish thing in the sense that um, like with a lot of things coming against our privacy, like CBDCs and, AI and whatever, that's going to, I think, catch attention this next two years, especially when all these new CBDCs come out for 2024. And people are going to be like, what the hell like, is going on over here? Um, why can the government know everything I do with my money at any given moment, where it is, what I spend it on, um, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, you never can tell with these public narratives, like which one's going to catch up first and whatnot, but I suspect we have enough catalysts coming. Um, Gavin, do you have a comment question? Yes, I have a quick question on the DEX piece of things. So from my understanding, so you had mentioned that there's going to be a DEX. So is there is it going to function like a, a mixer in a sense? Like, are you going to be able to exchange Zephyr for Bitcoin and then have, then take your Bitcoin out to like a fresh wallet address? So, so essentially it's... Um, yeah, let me, let, me clarify, let me clarify that a little bit. So in your wallet itself, you can convert from... Zeph to Zeph stable dollar, if you'd like. So there's that piece, and that's not really a DEX. That's just a core function of the protocol. Um, but it acts like a DEX would, right? That's what I meant to say. It's not a DEX exactly, but um, it serves the purpose for you as more or less a DEX if you want it to. Um, there's a fee involved with swapping back and forth and everything, but it's a it's it's an option if people want to uh, exercise that option. You could also just send your coins to a centralized exchange and swap them. As far as will there be a privacy DEX coming at some point where people can swap to like BTC, um, uh, et cetera, there is a DEX for Monero right now that allows people to do atomic swaps between Monero and uh, BTC, but it's kind of a centralized thing and there's no transparency be behind how much liquidity is there and everything. So it's a little trickier uh, thing. It's not quite a decentralized exchange. Exactly. Um, I would say that would be also how many of these people want to trade things like it's I, I feel like a lot of traders don't necessarily want to trade a lot of different crypto assets. No, they just, don't. they're looking for volatility to profit off of like volatility is right. a benefit and feature of crypto. So the fact that Zeph has has a black box system and it's volatile is great. Like the volatility, right. you have all the features people. the trader needs in one, exactly. one place. In your like they, wallet, don't need a, they don't need a Binance. They don't need multiple coins. They have one coin that is private. And I mean, a lot of these traders, let's be real, like they're not reporting. <laughs> uh, it's, it's wishful thinking to think that, you know, these and people are being honest tax paying citizens for the most part. They're probably not. And this is very attractive from that standpoint as well. It's like, all right, you're going to report yourself, man. You're going to snitch on yourself, which obviously we're, we're uh, condoning being a good tax paying citizen if taxes are applicable in your area. But still, like the incentives are extremely high to use. You don't have that counterparty risk of, yeah, you want to trade because there's volatile assets, but you don't want all the bullshit that comes along with that of not your keys, not your crypto, right? So it's all right. here. Everything that anyone would ever need is within the system itself. 
Another thing, so Gavin, I think, uh, was asking the question about DEXs. You know, will there be specific DEXs built? Um, there is some rumors about potential DEX uh, possibilities. Um, there's been some talks with the people that are in some of the ThorChain fork ecosystems, which allow for, um, you know, wallet-to-wallet -wallet swaps of various tokens, such as BTC, uh, coins like BTC, coins like Zephyr, Monero, et cetera. Ultimately, uh, privacy-specific ones could be built, but I, I do believe those would have to be built by completely anonymous teams because the reality is, like, um, like you mentioned, Gavin, earlier, nobody wants to be the Tornado Cash people. So the, the reality is, is that these types of systems have to be built fully anonymous, uh, and um, whoever builds them needs to just kind of like eventually disappear. I think in the Zephyr Protocol situation, that is more or less the case. The team is anonymous, which I completely advocate for. Um, some people say, well, what if the team does this, the team doesn't do that or whatever. The reality is that tons of teams that are, have been doxxed fully, um, have done a lot of shenanigans. Um, the reality is that you'll never know if the, if the team is hundred percent above board, that's just a risk you take and you should clear, you know, keep that in mind when people allocate, allocate. But when these kinds of protocols get really big, the problem is the team becomes a risk vector if they're, if they're not anonymous. So I think. It is a good idea, and one of the reasons I got particularly interested in this particular project because the team was in fact doxed. If they were not, it would make me nervous because you you know undoxed teams are you know risk for wrench attacks and you know multi sig related you know attacks and all, all sorts of bullshit. And uh, you you usually don't want to uh, you know if a protocol becomes gigantic enough, the what you think is a is a benefit a doxed team becomes a liability, uh, and it's not necessarily beneficial. So this is interesting. I, there, there are there is an allocation of pre-mine in this particular uh, protocol where the the anonymous team has uh, some of the ZEF tokens, and um, so look at all the tokenomics of that, the details. But basically, um, the theory is that they're going to be using that for well, maybe their personal profitability. You can't tell because it's private, so you can't tell if they're selling, if they're selling for what reason. You can't tell what they're using that pool for. But presumably, they're going to seed dexes and such, you know, with liquidity. Um, currently, besides MEXC, recently this last week, CoinEx was also added as an exchange, and I think uh, you'll see more and more centralized exchanges being added. Um, currently, even in the U.S., um, XMR is available on Kraken, but it's not available on Coinbase. On the other hand, Zcash, which is privacy related, is available on Coinbase, but not. So, so you you do have different um, privacy coins that are available on different exchanges, um, but having uh, complete like autonomous anonymous dexes um is something i think that will come in the future for people that are fans of xmr or zephyr interestingly uh any protocol that is built for xmr will pretty much be almost the exact same in terms of implementation uh to create a dex uh the same as uh for zeph would be similar for xmr because they're they're basically on the same uh fundamental um overall platform and, um, you know, in fact, even Zephyr is not like a reinvention or reimagining of everything. We already know we have a secure platform in the form of RandomX with, um, with XMR because it's been running since 2014. Um, and now we've added like a stablecoin system in the form of DGED, which has done very well and hasn't had any major issues either. So um, the combination of those two things is basically like, you know, one of the questions Logan asked is why, you know, what if this was created 10 years ago? The reality is that like 
all of the various protocols had not been in experimental mode and not enough previous stablecoin systems have failed in the past to understand what didn't work ultimately. And um, I think this is just a next evolution. Um, there's not a whole lot new invented here, to be honest. Like it's almost all a mixture of like the right technologies being put together after lots and lots of testing and people have like begun to understand how good, how useful these are. Uh, the way I would describe this is sort of like how Bitcoin came across initially BTC, like when it was created, basically it was a conglomeration of multiple other technologies and theory ideas like the, like the um, Byzantine generals problem and, and some other issues that when you put them all together, you were able to create Bitcoin, um, but it relied upon multiple uh, techniques and cryptographic technologies that came before it. So Satoshi Nakamoto did not invent um, most of the first principles of BTC. They were all taken from other people's papers. Um, the references are there in the Bitcoin white paper. And, um, you know, this was a collaboration of like, and a, a research project essentially for Bitcoin that resulted from many, many different uh, papers before and a lot of cryptography that had to come before it. So a certain amount of technology has to come together to create, say, for example, the iPhone. A certain amount of technology has to come, you know, the screen technology and the touch technology and the this and that, right? Um, so, you know, these, don't th these things don't get created in isolation. So I, I don't think the tech was fully um, tested and fully realized until DJED and you know, Luna UST and the consequence of that were looked at. And then, you know, you know, has XMR stayed functional over all these years? Yes, et cetera. So it's, it's pretty cool. I, I think um, the tech and the timing is right. And then I think the timing is right for the narratives that are approaching with AI and with CBDCs and everything. So yeah, very, very exciting time um, and a great time to be at the beginning of a bull market. I like the timing that this was released in as well. So um, proof of work has sort of caught a new, like, you know, feverish sort of level of excitement with the um, release of Casper, uh, Caspa, I'm sorry, um, a year and a half or so ago. And, you know, a whole bunch of miners hopped onto the Caspa bandwagon and um, that went up to like 3 billion market cap from, from almost nothing. I think Zephyr is in a position to do something similar. Um, but Zephyr is opening up in a sort of like the beginning of a bull market, whereas Caspa was actually in a bear market when it began. And I think Caspa should do okay as well. Nothing wrong with that. Um, it's a proof of work system just like this. But this is very different. It's CPU mind, not ASIC mind, uh, not GPU mind. And uh, it allows the community to participate because, you know, if all you have to have is a PC, all of us can be uh, running miners, no problem. It's uh, reasonably profitable. Um, and that promotes decentralization of the network. Because if the only miners are ASIC miners, then only people who can afford a multi-thousand dollar single-use computer for which they're not going to use that for anything else, you know, like, uh, are going to be involved. And, and people, um, and the other thing is ASICs are generally built by only like, you know, one or two companies in the world. So the thing is, you know, you know, your ant miners and whatever, the, the problem is, is that Bitmain and others are like very centralized. And if something were to affect the production of those mining tools, then that can affect the ability for your network to grow. So I like the idea that this is CPU mined and um, the goal is to be sort of ASIC resistant, even though the hashing power is not 
exotic on this particular network, it's still small, it's something the community can be involved in and keep it very decentralized as much as possible. What, what do you think is the biggest risk, Sefi? Like if you like, you know, some people will point and point the finger and say, I won't invest because X, Y, Z, right? Like what, just being transparent, yeah. what are some of those factors that might keep someone away? But let's just be transparent so about that. It, in, in an early uh, proof of work blockchain, there's always a concern that there could be some singular entity that has too much of the hashing power and therefore can, you know, uh, like do a 51% attack on a network. Um, I think it's less likely here. You have several major mining pools and you have a lot of community mining happening. Um, but, you know, this type of thing is not impossible. Um, so that can affect the security and function of the network. Um, what else can happen? The, the team has an allocation of tokens. What if they just decide to just sell a bunch of it all at once? Well, of course, price can go down, so that would be bad. Um, what else can happen? Um, the system, the, the Zeph stable dollar um, and the sort of um, swapping mechanism relies upon external price oracles. Currently, those, that, that oracle is relatively centralized from, to my understanding, and that needs to be changed. They're working on like an uh, updated version that is much more decentralized um, is what my understanding is from uh, paying attention to the community. Um, I don't know exactly what shape that's going to take, if that's going to be like on Chainlink or some other thing, but ultimately you'd want an autonomous oracle service that doesn't require very much uh, intervention from any kind of teams, and it will run indefinitely so that you don't have to really touch it. That would be the ideal thing. I'm not sure where they are with that particular uh, process, um, but we'll, we'll get more of that news as we go forward. But I think some kind of Oracle attack, or if an Oracle gets um, uh, broken or manipulated or something because insufficiently uh, decentralized, that could be a risk factor. Um, another risk factor is that right now, the primary um, uh, uh, exchange where liquidity exists for this particular coin for Zeph is uh, MEXC, uh, M-E-X-C. And, um, you know, let's say MEXC got hacked and, you know, someone, you know, sold a bunch of, you know, stole and then sold a bunch of Zeph or something like that, then that could really negatively affect price action. So you, this thing becomes much more um, secure from a liquidity perspective as more exchanges come on board. So that's always the thing. Like, you know, you don't think they're going to get thousand X multiples on crypto and stuff at the very earliest stages without the risk, then, you know, you've lost your mind. So all, all cryptos, like when they're very, very early, have all sorts of risks. They have rug pull risks, they have, you know, exchange hack risks and all sorts of other BS that you have to keep in mind. So, um, yeah, there, you know, one should fully expect anyone, anytime you're sort of buying any kind of cryptocurrency, um, that, for reasons that you can explain and sometimes reasons you can't explain, sometimes things can go to zero. <laughs> so well, the, the attack metric on the mining, that. right? When you said there's like a 51% attack, would that be more so like, is it profitable to try to execute one of those attacks? No. Like, would you, be, you know what I mean? Like why, why yeah. would there's not enough, want to do that? There's not currently enough exit liquidity in Zephyr to bother with some kind of a 51% attack nor, and also be very difficult um, because, uh, you know, the 1.5 giga hash per second is a fairly expensive amount of computing power to attempt to do this. So, yeah, there's not a great reason to even try it, really, which is how these networks end up uh, going. What happens is, is as price increases for the coin, the um, 
more miners show up, the more miners that show up, the more the difficulty um, of the housing algorithm becomes, makes making it more expensive over time to perform a 51% attack. So the whole concept of mining is as the market cap or the value of that chain or the total value in that chain increases, the incentive is to further um, secure the network while it simultaneously incentivizes bad actors to do something bad to try to steal something, right? So the, the, the security has to scale with the amount of value in that particular network. And I think that's what that's what Bitcoin does. That's the same concept with this. Um, it's what Monero does, for example, right? So um, but yeah, you, you don't want to have like one individual with more than 51% hashing power um, where they become the consensus on the network. This is why decentralization is important. If you believe in this particular project, it is helpful if you mine some Zeph, even if it's a little bit using some small computers. Uh, the more individual miners there are, the better as far as network security. There might be more, more risk from a protocol level side because they implemented the DJET protocol into the Monero chain and that isn't actually something that someone has done on a proof of work blockchain in this way. So let's say you send a stupid transaction that kind of uh, breaks the breaks the blockchain, right? And they have to hard fork it. So you could actually, it's not so much about stealing money or something, but you just get wrecked for half a day until they fix it and hard fork, hard fork the thing, which makes it look pretty stupid. That's one more possibility that could happen. Yeah, some sort of code issue. So like it is, this is an open source thing though. So besides the fact that it's privacy and uh, all the other things we mentioned, Open source blockchains allow anyone to analyze this, in, including other programmers and such. Um, so the more people that are looking at the open source, um, the, the more likely to, someone's going to find whether there's an actual problem there in order to fix it in a timely manner. So, yeah, it's uh, like, yeah, programmable money uh, can result in programmable bugs and <laughs> those bugs can be a problem. In systems, yeah, always assume there's a possibility that uh, you know a fresh system will break for reasons that you can't explain. Um, so you shouldn't be like this. These are not the types of things that you immediately go, "Oh, you know what? That's secure enough. I'm going to put my life savings in that." That's not how you think of these things. Think of them as experiments. Think of them as potential um, being prone to various failures. Uh, and even if it's not malicious, right? They, they could be very much non-malicious reasons why things can do poorly, always keep those risks in mind with anything you look at. Um, even Bitcoin, like Mt. Gox, really tanked the price of Bitcoin. So if you were a Bitcoin holder, and even if you didn't have your, your funds on Mt. Gox, um, you still had you know, to face the downward pricing pressure of the coin, right? So um, yeah, whether or not something directly affects you or your exchange or wherever your money is, that doesn't mean that you can't um, have like financial turmoil from that. So somehow or another, uh, Bitcoin made it through that whole crisis, came out stronger. And then, um, you know, eventually all the Mt. Gox, you know, business, you know, got taken care of apparently. Um, so who knows? <laughs> so, you know, lucky for maybe most of those people, if they got their, some of their funds back, um, that, uh, BTC's price went up while they were waiting, <laughs> you know, so that's good. But, um, yeah, anyway, so all sorts of both financial and, um, uh, technical turmoils can happen to a blockchain. Uh, always, I always say like it's almost impossible to do your own research unless you are 
know about every single aspect of everything in the universe, like how secure is MEXC, you know, the, the exchange that has most liquidity. I don't know. I have no idea. So the reality is like, it's all those kind of blindsided things that no matter how much research you do, you can still have something do poorly for reasons that uh, you don't have any control over. So yeah, be very aware of those kinds of things in crypto. And this is true of not just this coin, but like any other coin. Um, this is also true. And the another general truth is the longer something's been in existence, the less likely something bad is going to happen. It's almost like owning a car and like, you know, a lemon you're going to know in the first few months. Um, or same thing with a, a new PC. If it, the main chip doesn't fail in the first two months, it's pro you're probably good to go, right? Um, so yeah, that sort of test break-in period of the first few years, you can discover whether there's a real problem or not. And in that time, you're definitely in experimental space. Um, so yeah, with, with small market cap projects especially, you get extreme vol volatility. You need to kind of be bracing for that. You know, something can go up 100x and then drop 90x or 90%, you know? So like, that's pretty normal. That's happened with Bitcoin. It's happened with Ethereum. It's happened with most of the uh, high volatility assets where things kind of re really kind of sort of pump and dump, especially relative to the price you buy something. Um, low market cap things are extraordinarily volatile. And um, it only takes like, you know, one giant whale to sell a modest amount of a token and you'll wind up with a, a chart that looks pretty ugly really quickly. So this is all sort of normal stuff when it comes to small cap cryptos. And you really shouldn't be playing in this sort of thing unless you are, I would say, I don't know, like th these kinds of projects, you really should be, you should consider yourself a reasonable crypto expert and reasonably good at like trading these things. Um, if you don't think you're that person, then, you know, small caps and whatnot should, you probably shouldn't play with them. This is true in stocks too. Like if you are inexperienced, uh, you probably shouldn't be going to the penny stock tickers and, you know, uh, getting wrecked. Um, <laughs> so um, with, you know, the, the excitement of gigantic multiple possible gains, you know, people tend to want to put in outsized, you know, you only live once type investments into things. And the problem with that is if something goes to zero, well, now your portfolio got wrecked and um, you have nothing to show for it. And uh, it's important not to do that. So like, no matter how much you say, don't do that, people tend to sort of want to anyway. But um, anyway, just be careful. Out there. One more thing, I didn't hear the first part uh, of the, well, it wasn't a conversation, it was basically you t talking to people about Zeph and what it is, right? So um, I'm not sure if you already mentioned that, but looking from the miners' perspective onto the Zephyr protocol, we are having like two giga hash right now of hash rate. So just for people to understand, um, there are solo miners out there which mine without pools. They just try to get a block themselves with a hash rate of 30 to 40 mega hash. That's one entity. That's about two and a half million dollars of hardware that's burning away electricity to get after blocks. So there's serious people that are trying to mine Ceph in here. Yep, there's a lot of hashing power going. So um, I want to say there's some stuff that can be assessed on a proof of work blockchain, like these kinds of things that are transparent so you can really look them up. It's not like with proof of stake where it's all like pre-mine and whatnot, right? It's a little bit more difficult, but with proof of work, you really need real world hard assets and burn electricity, which makes it different. Yep. 
so that's why proof of work is it generates a commodity um you know bitcoin's a commodity et cetera, et cetera. and um you know that allows you to use these kind of metrics like how much is being mined per day um i think right now something like 8000 zephyr per day is being mined something along those that neighborhood so that gives you an idea of how much supply is coming to the market um zephyr is set up in such a way that the first few years um a lot more is mined so it's more inflationary in the very beginning so that's something you need to be aware of that some of the selling pressure comes from that now that doesn't necessarily keep um price of the asset from going up in fact if you thought that then that would that, you know that wouldn't explain why caspa shot up right um that's you had a lot of um new supply coming onto the market but much of the time miners will tend to hold on to their zephyr that doesn't mean just because eight thousand worth is coming to the market every day that's being sold off i i for one am mining it i'm not selling any uh, in fact the more mining you do and the more of it you don't sell uh, the better it is for the network in a sense because um, then you're driving up the difficulty of mining it for those who do want to sell. <laughs> so it actually uh, has a double effect if you hodl your mine coin um, because you're both contributing to worsening difficulty of the system, which makes it more expensive for uh, people who just want to just like mine it just to sell. Um, and you, you know, lock up the supply more than anything. So anyway, that's not to say that like a few dozen people in this room are going to suddenly make a gigantic difference in the the inflation rate. It's just you know it's just one of those effects that happen with proof of I mean sorry proof of work networks where um, yeah the more miners that don't don't sell off their coins for you know paying for electricity the uh, more number goes up as far as price action. So yeah, I mean I think Caspa took about a year and a half to get from a market cap of where we are now with Zephyr to um like you know we're about 50 million market cap right now to a number that was more like 3 billion um and uh it's readily possible uh just because you know monero peaked at market caps north of like 10 billion i believe as well um it's currently at a, about a 3 billionish market cap um and that's just at the beginning of a bull market before it just had a chance to run up so we'll see how that does um but i think we'll have a good sense of how much uh, privacy gets a bid depending on you know the price action of xmr so that'll give us a general sense of you know the impact or like the interest people have in in privacy so yeah a lot, a lot of interesting metrics that you can follow um, but yeah I, I found it very interesting how high the hash rate was already for this project um, how interested people have been in its utility and actual personal use cases and um and uh, how high of a hash rate it has in terms of network security compared to Monero, but with a much smaller um, actual market cap. Um, there is a kind of a saying that like price follows hash rate. Um, it's not entirely true. Um, it's somewhat true. Um, the, the impression is that the more interesting a network is, the more miners are going to mine it. And um, subsequently, the more interesting a network is, the more demand there will be for the underlying coin and more buyers that would be interested in buying it. So uh, both of those things have to be present. Um, but ultimately, if something is really, really useful, um, people feel better about mining it, holding the coin, using the, using the system for whatever it's uh, useful to them for. So hopefully that covers uh, all of this in a pretty good like summary. We got this recorded so that uh, Finn at TerraSpaces can uh, post this. Um, 
post these uh, like sessions and uh, get the information out. Try to keep this one polluted from too much outside banter so that we can get this <laughs> in a concise form. Um, if there's anything I missed, uh, anyone can hop up and let me know, especially if there's any like, um, you know, people that are professionals that understand the protocol better or need to say something that I missed that uh, is important. So I didn't cover every single detail, obviously. Tried to get the broad sweeping strokes as to why someone's going to care about this thing and uh, why I think it's valuable. Um, but mostly talking about it just because, not because my bag is going to go up in value, which, you know, uh, full disclosure, by the way, I do own uh, a Zephyr. So like there is that. Um, but mostly because I think it's just an inter interesting protocol. Um, if it, if it succeeds, uh, doesn't have some sort of crisis and does really well, I think uh, it's something that could be very useful to people. Um, and uh, that's why I hold it personally. Um, I'll kind of like, uh, for Finn's purposes, this is kind of like the end of the, the specific session. Um, I suppose we could, why don't we close this session out and start a new one so that he has a hard stop. Uh, so otherwise, he's going to have to figure out where on the recording that we, we stopped exactly. And um, let me just close this room out. We can do another room and people can talk about whatever we want to talk about. Motherfucker screaming out loud, looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works. And we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt. We rape them under the earth. Sit and wonder about the worth and plate. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless Trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets Dead ants dragging out the max amount of payments Red down days, got them acting all bankless Yo fam, what? Check these tokenomics They probing this bear, flexing broken honest I had to lay my soul down, I'm just roasting honest And then to end a long day, 11 bowls of chronic Never known the politic, I was born to frolic It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top We like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom over the impossible loss It's all moss and I'm liking the odds Fondue in the morning forming mycological bonds Flick the cap, yo, the road is highly involved Flip a coin, diary falls Motherfuckers screaming out loud looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape them under the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner lace Stacked in non-toxic just to get a better place Smacking on the hostage like the shit is play for keeps Clowns, white knight, and all these Maybellines They call it implausible when model after model keeps on Ripping off the coat and going full throttle beats Tearing apart your communitility All these low-hanging fruits bearing zero liquidity Got a planet in reach, coming standard to each I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege Commanding all the management to grab a few seats And then we'll round up the beasts and send a messenger east Y'all better sign a release when I'm bumping these beats Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets Yo, we got a few dubs, we got a couple defeats And if you're coming for the king, you better have some of each Motherfuckers fuckers screaming out loud looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the verbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape him under the earth Say and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served
Spaces.